Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Chui, Chui, which is of course Japanese for Achtung, Achtung, of course. Um, uh, this very week, 80 years ago, um, Isoroku Yamamoto issued plans for the attack on Pearl Harbor, which probably sealed the fate of the Axis powers in the war, along with everything else that sealed the fate of the Axis powers <laughs> in the war. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do we start? <laughs> well, by, by uh, Hitler, the, the, um... it's by starting that they sealed it. You know, anyway, <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, yeah, let's again, not get that one. Uh, no, it's not going to that one. Although, funnily enough, I was, you know, um, you know, w- with my program out at the moment, we've had a load of, I've had a load of, you know, awful lot of rubbish on Twitter of people going, 
oh, you're fine. It was the Russians that won the Second World War. And you go, well, well, oh, do, uh, look, do we have to do, do we have to do this? Um, well, but talking anyway. of which, talking of which, I mean, I well, have let's to do say... the intros and we'll get to it. We'll get to it. All right, um, all right. Welcome, to, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the Second World War podcast with me, Al Murray and James Holland, of course. And a warm welcome to any new listeners who heard me describing how much I don't like avocado on television this weekend um, and have decided to join the pod in sympathy. I mean... I, I, do you like avocado, James? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm a fan of the avocado. Uh, I like I like avocado oh. on sourdough bread with a poached egg on top, oh. which makes me sound incredibly kind of you know grim yeah. on North London, doesn't sounds it? Sounds like you. Well, yeah, sounds like you live in. It sounds like you live in Chiswick because that's all there is to eat in, in my neck of the woods. Um, no, it's got to anyway. be a really good avocado. It's got to be really good bread. It's got to be really good, good, yeah. good, good egg and all that kind of nonsense. Yeah, and all that. Yeah, but I you can't beat ba- like- eggs and beer, can you? Just tastes like dubbing. Dubbing. I mean, you put it on your boots. Um, uh, Anyway, one major bit of news before we crack on. Um, Save the date, ladies and gentlemen. Warfest 2, our second festival of all things Second World War, will take place near Silverstone Racetrack over the weekend of July the 22nd to the 24th next summer. Um, We hope you'll come along and enjoy more loud bangs and great speakers and lots of beer. Tickets will be on sale in time for Christmas, so now you know what to ask Santa Claus for, don't you? Um, uh, uh, Subject to which, one of the talks I think is on this week, Nicholas Frank, which is one of the chats you did. Um, uh, Nicholas Frank, whose father was the self-styled King of Poland, Hans Frank, Hitler's lawyer, um, uh, who uh, ran a large part of... The greater government, didn't he? He ran the, yeah. he ran the greater government in Poland. The general government. The, the general government. The general government. Sorry, general government. One of the, which is one of the Nazi provinces of conquered Poland. Um, and so it's responsible for all the, basically all the murder that, that went on there. And Nicholas is absolutely fascinating about that legacy, having that legacy in your family, what that, what that means, um, uh, isn't he? He's, he's, he's an extraordinary fellow, isn't he? He really is extraordinary. Yeah. His autobiography about his dad is just... It's a very, it's quite disturbing. It's quite yeah. It's it's quite the quite the read. But, but the point I'm making is if you're if you're if you're making your mind up about coming to Warfest Zwei next year, that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of stuff. This talk that we've got um, uh, coming up um, on Thursday, I think that's the kind of stuff that we have on. We have ways of making you talk war, uh, Warfest Zwei. So along with you know, they, they, absolutely massive hardware, the massive hardware um, uh, and also historians. Experts, uh, academics, uh, reenactment of the highest quality only. Um, so not me and Henning Vane dressed in a joke shop <laughs> khaki, <laughs> running off Stephen Fisher's landing craft. <laughs> well, um, what I would say is, is that there is there is nothing else like this festival. There is nothing yeah. that combines, you know, top drawer academics and historians and real yeah. experts on the subject matter. Yeah, uh, with all that hardware with all the other sort of things you normally get at kind of second world war weekends and things so it it is a it is a kind of it's quite a unique show really wfz yes, I, I think it I, th- <laughs> I think i think it is i think it's it's fair enough to say it's unique and it's it's perhaps the speakers that are the thing that that make it different because if you've been to chalk valley history festival which is predominantly speakers with some living history but just the the sort of i don't know the the, the sheer amount of hardware that we had uh, I mean the garrison who will who will go see at some point because we we do need to do that. Yeah, we um, do. There's quite anyway, a few things we need to do. Anyway, um, but but yes, have... your your program. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> I've, I want to talk about it. it. I really am enjoying it. I I, I mean I enjoyed the uh, the Napoleonic one, but I particularly enjoyed last week's with with um uh, where, where you're talking about Germany with Henning. Uh, and I listen, you know, I thought it was a very very good look. Your your um officer, you know, staff officer. 
battle dress and helmet. Well, I thought, I mean, uh, you know, because obviously the the the, the I thought you what wore we're it doing well. is. Well, yes, I think I. I mean, I do look really. I thought I looked really very good with the red tabs in the khaki. You did. You really did. And I, I st- start to think maybe that's a maybe that's a look to pull off. Yeah, you need, you need an of... honorary. Um, on, uh, you know, you need to become an honorary group <laughs> captain or something. They do dish out in the <laughs> RAF. <laughs> but yeah, but um, yes, and uh, uh, what we. I mean, obviously, what we're trying to do is sort of let the drawbridge down and let some, you know, but through the humour and let some ideas in in for people um but there there is something really great about you know the, the opening piece to camera i'm saying it's still not flesh it's technology well, it's industry it's you know you're, you're still saying which... serious points which i you know I, I felt you were very very on message and and you know i don't want to sort of sound like your teacher <laughs> but you know well done because that was definitely an a star on that one um, well, i also I, thought they also thought what, what was incredibly impressive was doing a piece to camera in the middle of a barrel roll in a yeah, spiver. Well, that was very strong. I mean, that, that's not well, easy to do. Well, that came about because because I mean, it's it's, that, it's the very strange thing. And I've t- I mean, I, I don't know. Forgive me, people. Have t- if I've listeners, if I've spoken about this before, there is something very peculiar about going up in a, in an aeroplane that you've been you've been fixated on since you were probably four, yeah. right, or five years old, and that the the the, the colours are imprinted permanently in your you know the palette in your memory. To get in that plane and then have to remember your lines rather than just sit there going, ah, I don't believe it, which, yeah, is, which yeah. is what you what you ought to do. So, you know, my director's going, right, OK, um, you know, the first one will come up to the because there's a sort of, you know, there's a there's a there's a observer's plane at Biggin Hill. And, you know, the idea is you, we flew up, we flew up just sort of after it and, and a beam, yeah. well, a beam, actually, we flew up a beam slightly lower. And so I look, I look up and do the piece to camera, and then we peel away. And so we, so we did it a couple of times. Get, you know, giving. I had to give the cue to the pilot, and she was told when when she heard me say "Supermarine Spitfire," she was to 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 roll away. So, but the thing is, is you're, you know, so I'm not in the plane going, "Oh well, I'm over the look." The white cliffs are not doing you, McGregor. Like, exactly, I'm not, not doing any of that. I'm like trying to remember my bloody words and not mess it up. And because also, if you muck it up. You're only up for so long. They're going to run. You, they can't send yeah, you around yeah, again because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. expensive. Yeah. You know, la, 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 la. Anyway, but but then for the second piece of camera, because it was to the GoPro, I said, well, look, be, it'd be brilliant if you could do some aerobatics because then it'll look, it just, it'll look a whole lot better if we could, you know, have that going on behind <laughs> me rather than just me sitting there going, well, the Spitfire's ace, isn't it? You know, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and she, she said, okay, no problem at all. <laughs> And off we went. And at one point, it's like, are you, are you, are you all right back there with a G? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Well, I Which thought it was very impressive. All, I was very impressive. Camera. Very impressive. Yeah, thank you. And, I mean, what was really interesting as well is we, because when we went to, um, and it was Armageddon near Market Harbour where we did the paintballing. Mm. What was really interesting about that? And that's where Sexton Number 1, which was on yes. show at... At um, Warfest uh, Eint. Warfest Eint. Um, <laughs> WFE. <laughs> um, uh, that's where that comes from, from that collection. And um, but what's interesting there is they, you know, my director is saying we've we've got to illustrate the point about about the hardware, but we haven't got the hardware here. You know, they don't have a Panzer one there, so you can't go. German tanks are tiny at the time. They're not the they're not the sort of behemoths right. of people's uh, of, of popular imagination. You know, and I tried to say, well, there's the Bren carry. You know, we could talk about the carry, but then we 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 settled on the the the, the Lee they've got there because that the configuration of that tank, the design of the gearbox, you know, the riveted gearbox, it is all 
basically cribbed off French design, which which is the really really interesting thing is that the Germans the Germans the Americans rather they may they may have studied German application of armor and wanted to figure out what Blitzkrieg was, but they weren't interested in building tanks to German standards. They wanted to build stuff to French and British standards, which is really really interesting. And yep. to actually to be able to kick that subject around with Henning going World War II got out of hand that's the best way of looking at it so. <laughs> also I loved it I mean I loved the, the, the bit with the uh, motor torpedo boat which I really really god that got wet in my appetite oh. if ever anything did yeah um but then, then I loved your crap invasion <laughs> yeah with little yeah. puffs of smoke yeah sort of illustrative well, of know. a much bigger picture Absolutely. Well, I always say that you know the, the individual soldier only knows exactly what's in front of him, rather That's than true. anything Very around true. him. So, so in that se- in that sense, we recreated the moment quite perfectly. <laughs> that was no, very, very funny because we, we're out we're out in the water there, and and the you know that that the the pictures of that from the drone look amazing. But then, of course, because it was a, such a bright hazy day, the drone goes up and we can't find it, and he's trying to land it, and he has to work out where the where the drone is and land it on the landing craft without without it going in the drink. So, well, so yes, I mean, I'm I thought it was great fun. It. I thought it was great fun. I really, really enjoyed it, and I thought it was it was a very good way of putting across a you know a serious point, you know, which was yeah. I mean, it makes you it makes you wonder what you could do with a podcast like this on television. I have to say, with a, with a clever director, what the the stuff you'd be able to pull off. Yeah, that's what it makes me makes me well, wonder. But yeah, there you go. Well, you know, well. <laughs> You know, let's see, let's see. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, but and next week, I think I don't know what we're doing next week. It might be the Vikings. I don't know because it's not. No, it's the Romans next week. Oh, is it? Okay. So maybe I should get your brother to watch that, and um, he can he can have a conniption. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I've just been sent a, a, a new book on pattern, a, a proof copy of a new book on pattern, which is very ah. exciting, uh, by Kevin Heimel. Um right. and. Apparently, I feel rather embarrassed to realise that it's already volume two or three or something. Um, oh, really? I where I put it. I put it down somewhere. But um, uh, we should definitely get get Kevin on because um, he looks like he knows got, what he's talking about. I got a copy you of that. You didn't? Well. Oh, that's yeah. so good. We've got to we've got to reprint this book. It's amazing, Secret isn't warfare. it? Yeah. Isn't yeah, it it's fantastic? fantastic? Yeah, and it's got everything you could ever hope for. Ever, anyway, Ciphers. I, I will never be about that book again. Yeah. Yeah, and you, I mean, you could you could you could write a book about SOE, you know, a novel off it about SOE off of this. Yeah, this is a book called Secret Warfare by Pierre Laurent, adapted by David Kahn, the arms and te- techniques of the resistance. Yeah, and it's got it's got um, a rather sexy boys um, anti tank rifle on the cover, um, looking uh, distinctly exciting. You know, you've got the M- page eighty nine. Page fifty nine, the MCR one receiver, a biscuit receiver, yeah. which is a basically, a, you know, a, a tiny radio. Opposite that, that's the fifty three Mark one receiver, a miniature set, yeah. extra flat pot, pocket model, and, and a whole chapter, a whole chapter on ciphers and how to do them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's got every. Yeah. It just tells you literally everything you need to know. It's completely brilliant. Yeah. The other yeah. thing that um, but that we talked about last time was um, the makeup of an infantry division. And we're going. Hang yes. on a minute. What you know? So what? What is an infantry division? And, and yes. Well, let's uh, talk what? about. Let's talk about that because I'm. Uh, you know, I'm in the middle of. Uh, uh, I, I've. I've. For one of my commanders, and I still. I still need to find a title for this book. I can't quite light on a title. I've decided to, I'm going to end the war. Because you know, I'm telling using different people to tell different stories of phases of the war. I'm ending the war with with, and it's thanks to Andy Aitchison with Peter White in with the jocks of what it's like being a commanding a platoon at the end of the war. Yeah, very good. And how 
bloody terrible it is. Well, how funny that you should mention the jocks because I'm looking at the makeup yeah. of the 52nd Lowland Infantry Division. Oh, fantastic! And, and I chose Excellent. them specifically to keep um, to keep Andy Aitchison happy. Um, oh, wonderful! But but it is it is really really interesting um, because. First of all, so first of all, you have he- you have divisional headquarters troops, okay, yep. which are grouped into five different units. Yep. So first of all, you've got fifty second recce regiment. Yep. Okay, okay, so that's armor cars and what have you, and those are yep. frontline troops. There's no getting away from that. Yeah, then yeah. you've got the seventh battalion in the Manchester regiment, which are a heavy machine gun regiment, thick as machine guns. Yep. Okay, no getting yep. away from that. They're troops, pretty much to yep. a man. Then you've got the fifty second provost company. Yep. Military police. Pro- yeah, absolutely. Then you've got the postal unit, which is part of the Royal Engineers. Yep. You ever fought it, but Good. a key part of part of the team. Yep. Um, but absolutely yep. not frontline troops. Then you've got fifty second divisional signals, which are not you know, they're in the in the line of danger, but they're not hammering yep. away on a Bren or a number you know, SLME um yeah, yep. uh Mark Four or whatever. Then your mainstay is your your three infantry brigades. In the 155th, you've got the 7th Ninth Royal Scots, you've got yep. the 4th King's Own Scottish Borderers, yeah, yeah. and you've got the 5th Scottish King's Own Scottish Borderers. Yeah, yeah. And then later in February 1945, you've got the 6th Battalion Highland Light Infantry. Then yep. you've got 160th Brigade, which you've got three more um, uh, battalions, infantry battalions, and then 157th uh, Infantry with three battalions. Yep. Now, an infantry yep. battalion um, is interesting because that is... Um, 845 men, yep. which breaks down into 809 other ranks and 36 officers, yep. four rifle companies, A, B, C, D, yep. of, of each of 37 men um, per platoon. So times that yep. by four, you've got 148 per company. Yep. Then on top of that, in each infantry battalion, in each infantry brigade, you've got... Um, Sorry, each battalion, you've got an anti-tank platoon of 53 men, a carrier platoon yep. of 62 men, a three-inch yep. mortar company of 42 men. So yep. you've got all these other little bits to it. So, you know, each brigade has probably got, what's that, you know, uh, 845, that's, you've, you've basically got 1,000 men, I suppose. Yeah. Times three, times three, times three. Yep. And the rest, are, so, so what's that? That's like 9,000, isn't it? Something like nine thousand. You've got, you've got um, uh, uh, divisional artillery as well, haven't you? Yes. Um, okay. So that's interesting. So, so, so I haven't, I haven't got, I barely got started on this. So that's yeah. your, the, so your infantry division. It is those three brigades of three battalions of eight hundred forty-five men each. Yeah. That yeah. are the basic. That's your, that's your fighting force. Yeah, that's your teeth. So what's eight hundred forty-five times three? So seven thousand six hundred and five is your infantry right. bit. Right. Of your infantry, okay. bata- uh, infantry division, which is sixteen thousand men. So where where are the other right. nine hundred coming from? Nine hundred, <laughs> nine thousand four hundred. Well, they're coming from a whole. So first of all, you have got divisional artillery. So yep. you'd have one, two, three, three field regiments, one yep. anti tank regiment, yeah, and one light anti aircraft regiment. Yeah. Then you've got divisional engineers. And you've yep. got one field park company, one field company, two, yep. sorry, th- th- you've got one field park company, three field companies, and one bridging platoon. Yeah. 
None of which are what you would call typically frontline troops. No. You know, they're not the tip of the spear. Then you've got Divisional RASC, Royal Armoured Service Corps. So yeah. again, you've then got five, you've got four field companies right. of Divisional RASC. So they're, they're doing ammunition, food. Yeah, they're supply. echelon troops. Yeah, echelon, yeah. Then you've got Divisional RAOC, Royal Army Ordnance Corps. Right, yeah. supply presumably providing the, uh, providing the ammo. Yeah. So 52nd Ordnance Field Park and thirty and then 35th Mobile Laundry and Bath Unit. Don't knock them. No. <laughs> then you've got Divisional Remi, Royal Engine, um, Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. Yeah. So you've got three brigade workshops. Yeah. Then on top of that, you've then got the Royal Army Medical Corps with one, two, three, three field ambulance companies yep. and one field dressing station, no, two field dressing stations and a field hygiene section. Right. So in other words, you know, your, 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 your fighting bit is not quite 50%, is it? No, it's over 50% if you include the artillery. It's over... Yeah, it's oh, well, it depends on how you view the artillery, but the 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 people likely to run into run into another rifleman is about fifty percent. The, the the opposition's riflemen, the people having to close hard with the enemy, yes, is sort of fifty percent of the strength. Yes, and just so you know, a field a field artillery regiment. Yeah. Goodness me. Okay, so that then has four batteries. Yeah. Each with usually four troops of four. Yeah. So it's twenty-four yeah. guns in a in a regiment. Yeah. So you know, but it is it is. I, I just think it's so interesting, isn't it? How it's how it's all constructed and how it's organised and you, you know it's it's you've then got at core level and at army level you've then got a whole host more army troops, core yeah. troops. Which are, tend to be mostly of the kind of signals, hygiene, medical, Royal Army Service Corps, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and basically, yeah. it's pretty much the same for the Americans. I mean, there's not an awful lot of difference. Yeah, there's not not, not a great deal of difference, is there? Uh, I mean, it's <clears throat> after all, we do. We do, I mean, we do talk about Allied teeth to tail quite a lot, and you know that, that this is the, and and after this is the thing Churchill never understood, isn't it? Is why is the army so enormous and. But yes. but this I mean this just really emphasise it doesn't it that basically sort of, it's sort of it's a little it's more than half but not much more than half of your strength is the is the people going from go you know going up to a start line and engaging the enemy yeah um and that means that they're, and they're the people also taking the wastage aren't they so yeah. that means your you, the real strain is on on replacing infantry that's where the yeah. that's actually the, the and thing tank crews. And tank crews, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yes, yeah, so the same, the same. I mean, the, the same, this same kind of scale we've talked about. Uh, um, you know, a, a armored brigade, same kind of scale operates, yes. doesn't it? So yeah. basically, once it once it's all shook down, the actual people on the pointy <clears throat> bit. Well, an armored regiment um, has six hundred eighty eight men, of which three hundred twenty seven yeah. are in tanks, which means yeah. that whatever yeah. six hundred eighty eight minus three hundred twenty seven are not in tanks. Yeah, yeah. So if you think yeah. that eight percent of British Second Army in 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 Northwest Europe is armour, only 48% of that 8% is actually in yeah. a tank. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. suddenly it's getting yeah. smaller and smaller and smaller. 
but obviously those are the ones who who are, are, are at the sharp end and those are the ones who are suffering the most so you know it, it, but it is amazing because in the narrative it's it's kind of 80 percent of the troops are infantry and armor yeah not a combined yeah. effort of 22 percent yeah 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 but pete but pete but i mean peter white you know who's a subaltern in um fourth kosb he said i mean the thing he says the farther one got towards the enemy the thinner the evidence of accompaniment might be until finally inside the enemy there was what there one was rifle in hand the enemy ahead perhaps 10 or less jocks actually inside at any one time and almost as often as not one was the recipient of the artillery fire of both sides so you talk about this enormous sort of it's I, I think it's like a sort of like a family tree isn't it you could you could draw it as a family tree couldn't you yeah i've and always the, done it as an inverted triangle uh, an inverted triangle or pyramid yeah. So so, yeah. and I and I've I've done this before with people when I've been standing on Sword Beach, and you get out yeah. your stick and you sort of go, "You think a division is sixteen thousand men? Yeah. And here's in the sand, and you sort of put do a big long line. There's the top line, which is your sixteen thousand men, and then at the bottom yeah. is is the bottom uh, bottom apex of the triangle, which is actually what's coming ashore on D Day, and it's not very many. Yeah. Because yeah. of that whole point that, that, you know, you're never attacking with three battalions, you're only attacking with two or one, yeah. and then you're only attacking with two um, um, battalions out of the three in your brigade, and yeah. you're then attacking only with, you know, maybe three companies out of four, or two companies out of four, and then you're only comp- attacking with three platoons out of four, etc., etc., and then you add on and the 10% L- and, and left out of battle. Well, L-O-B, yeah, yeah. I mean, but and then it, so it comes down to what he's saying, is that you can see 10 other blokes around you. Yes. And that's that's it. Your section. That's tw- 21st Army Group is your section, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and that, because that, I think, because I, 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 I think this is one of the things that, you know, we, we've took... One of the things we've talked about in the last sort of two years is yes, the Allies win because they apply apply steel, not one of the way. One of the reasons they win is the application of steel, not flesh. Is, yes. that, is one of the reasons they win is that they have an appreciation of the idea that that what you try to do to minimise casualties is is overwhelm the enemy with artillery, with air, and particularly with air power, and you use the air power strategically as well as tactically, yeah. so that you you know so that you you so that you cause paralysis in the enemy's systems throughout yes and all that but you still need the these chaps with their rifles to to crawl out to crawl out of their slit trench when the whistle goes to go over the top to to get or to assemble at the start line to find their way to the start line to get there on time so they're in time with the barrage you know that still you still have to do that the tactical bit which is after all the thing that the allies are say you know again in the sort of received account the allies are just bad at that Compared to the compared to the Germans, but but none of this would work if you were, and if your morale's not lined up, none of it works. And you you know that's the thing Johnny Finell says about Monte Cassino is that when the when the Kiwis are going through that, that they've got the mutiny going, the furlough mutiny going on at home, that that they can't that that you know Freiburg can't get his men to do what he wants them to do because they're all got, they've got in their mailbag the thing. So it's this so this whatever happens, however it's set up, it's the fellow with the with the SMLE. Yep. Or with the bread gun, in the mud, the filth, whatever, having to having to pull his pull his pull himself together and go forward, and and I think that's the that's the that's the other thing about this that that you know when we talk about what's amazing about the Second World War is all the different aspects of it, and the giant and the strategic and the but the suddenly the personal of one guy, one person, you the individual, having to have the gumption to go forward, which isn't which is of course 
not pejorative of the idea that some people don't have the gumption because I don't. I know I wouldn't. I'm reading. I'm, have you read? I'm reading. I'm just. Let me just uh, find this. Pull this book up because I'm reading something at the moment that Waitman Bourne recommended to me, which is a, a, by um, which is about um, the, the, by a philosopher, a guy who was a philosopher who then joined the U.S. Army because he had to. Um, I, 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 well, what we'll do is um, Goldhanger will exer- uh, extract some of this as I look for the book. Um, uh, where, where's it gone? Where's it gone? The Warriors by J. Glenn Gray. Do you know this book, Jim? No. So J. Glenn Gray is a, was a philosopher um, who, you know, joined the U.S. Army, um, fought in Italy. And he wrote a book straight from his notes after the war, from his diaries after the war, trying to get his head around the nature of being a warrior from a philosophical point of view. And it's absolutely, fa- it's an absolutely fascinating um uh uh read is this still in print um i it's it's on kindle so that's where i that's where i've got it the warriors by by uh reflections on men in battle by um uh uh j glenn gray and um the enemy was cruel it was clear yet this did not trouble me as deeply as did our own cruelty indeed their brutality made fighting the germans much easier whereas ours weakened the will and confused the intellect he gets it he gets into this really interesting idea of of um you know he talks so he talks about loyalty he talks about the sort of standard things that we that, that you talk about how you motivate soldiers what motivates soldiers how they create out groups and other groups of the enemy and all this sort of thing but one of the things that he talks about that's absolutely fascinating is the idea of um uh seeing stuff and how seeing stuff can drive you to drive you through combat because there's just so much that you'd simply have to see and be a part of it's it's absolutely fascinating uh, uh, um I, I mean I, I sort of I sort of um Waitman Waitman said you've got to read this you've got to read this uh, uh, you know there's a there's this the soldiers there's chapter four the soldiers soldiers relation to death you know he's talking about the different attitudes he would observe in fighting units. So there's people who are people that, you know, the, the devil may care guy to, to, to whom death doesn't apply. There's the person who, you know, every single time this is where this time I'm going to I'm going to die. There's the soldier, the soldier who has because he talks about the elevation of self-sacrifice in Christian culture, which is, of course, complete runs completely counter to any any like uh standard moral way of dealing with the world. You know, you don't, you don't get yourself killed. Nothing's worth getting yourself killed for. Don't be ridiculous. And he says how th- that gets completely inverted. It's such an interesting book and so much to do with th- uh, really thinking about, you know, this thing that Peter, because Peter White keeps talking about how he motivates himself and how he parks his personal safety as, as he goes into battle and also how that gets harder and harder and harder the more tired you are. And of course they're ti- always tired. Yes, and yes. Th- this, this, you know that that everyone's permanently exhausted, but I mean it's it's you know and he he talks about cowardice, you know um, cowards cowards best understand the psychology of fear. He, he says you know he says cow, cowards understand fear. It's people who are brave who have no idea how fear works. I mean it's it's such an interesting book, and um, uh, uh, I would I would you know because I mean we've done a classic. We have ways to question. We've talked about the sort of. <laughs> the, the, the machinery, the machinery division, and then end up on the individual. And this guy's, this guy's book, it's absolutely fascinating. And and he talks about, he talks about, you know, the erotic component to violence. Yes, yeah, so he says the bayonet and all the rest of it. 
Well, and all that, but also how, you know, about how men and men and women in wartime end up, you know, that the, 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 all soldiers can talk about. He says all that anyone ever talked about was sex um, to the point of it just existing in its own kind of abstract, like it, none of it. You know, they weren't talking about sex. They were talking about they were talking about something else in a way. Right. They were talking about being alive. They were talking about right. You know, not wanting to be dead, wanting and all this sort of thing. And uh, it just it's just such it is such an interesting book. Um, uh, and I, I, I think it, I think it always comes back to the individual though. I mean, it, it always does for me. I mean, it, it goes back to yeah. why, why I got interested in the subject in the first place because it's it's this incredible period of human drama which, which yeah. is so recent still and yet is so unfathomable. It's so it's so yeah. hard to put yourself into. the position of someone who's sort of going into action in 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 the ardennes in the snow of december 1944 i mean yeah. how, how do you yeah. how can you possibly sort of contemplate that and yet we do because it's something that's so near and yet and yet you know to go with the cliche so far but i think it always comes yeah. back to the individual it's always about that because at the bottom line our fascination of the second world war revolves around the fact is what would we have done had we been there i think that is the single key to the whole thing yeah, and all the I mean, dilemmas and decisions, and well, having and also, to confront but, your, your your own fears, but also um, this, your, but your, all, the decisions you have to make, the conund- the moral conundrums yeah. you get faced with. That, that's but what it's all about. But also, I mean, I also think a thing. A thing. It sort of. I mean, he talks about this. He talks about destruction, and he says, um, you know, the human joy in destruction. He says people talk about being destructive. Oh, you're an animal. If you're destruct, if you're destructive, he goes, no, 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 no. That, that, he says, I cannot escape the conviction that this is an illusion, a dangerous man, dangerous one. When man is at his destructive work, he is on a different plane from the animal altogether. And destructive urges are as capable of being found in highly cultivated natures as in the simpler ones, if not more so. So he's trying to get to grips with mm. what, you know, what, what, what drives people in this way. It's, it, and you're right, it comes down, it, it, it comes completely down to the individual. And, you know, we, we, you've said this before, if, you know, they rely on young men. If there were no young men, there wouldn't be any wars. Yeah. And I think that's a... That's a yes, and, uh, and, and, and conversely, as long as there are young men, there will be wars. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Anyway. Um, Fascinating uh, stuff. Well, anyway, I've ordered that while you've, while you've been talking. I've, uh, <laughs> well, let's, well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. We've got some emails we need to read. Yes. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. 
It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Um, we've just fallen into a rabbit hole and we're going to claw our way back out. Um, uh, that book, by the way, um, absolutely fascinating. Um, the Warriors, Reflections on Men in Battle um, uh, by J. Glenn Gray, which um, I, I, I can't... I Looks to me like it's out of print. Enough. Looks to me like it's out of it's, print. It's philosophical. Um, uh, uh, you know, introduction by Hannah Arendt. It's a, philo- it's a book of philosophy by a philosopher. So... Some of it, some of it, had me scratching my head in my um, bed and breakfast in Aberystwyth last week. But um, it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> but you've been back and forth with the Wales a bit recently, haven't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really but all it, good, all it, good. It, it's all been great, actually. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, let's do some emails. Should we do some emails, Jim? Yeah, go on. Then. Okay, uh, Alan James loved the podcast on patterns. This is from Rick Fox, one of our American listeners. Mm. I thought the brief diary excerpts were interesting and seemed to shed a bit of light on a different side of pattern than the old blood and guts chief cheerleader of all things war. You briefly mentioned he's often bringing up the American Civil War. As an American, my main two history loves are World War II and the American Civil War. I've been fortunate enough to get to visit many of the larger battlefields from the Civil War. Fantastic. You probably knew this, but Patton's grandfather, George S. Patton Sr., was a colonel in the 22nd Virginia Infantry for the Confederate Army. Yes, indeed. He was more, yeah, he was mortally wounded in 1864 at the Third Battle of Winchester. Patton Sr.'s brother, Waller T. Patton, was killed at the famous Battle of Gettysburg. Mm. So soldiering has passed down to him from an early age with tales of his grandfather and uncle dying in honour, dying with honour in glorious battle. I mean, that's that's very interesting that he's, you know, that he then becomes such a firm proponent of the U.S. Army, who, after all, defeated the Confederate Army. Um, you know, it's a, it, 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 you know, it's an int- interesting that the army could accommodate people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know they. We've, I mean, we talked about this the other week in terms of race relations within the American armies. They very much accommodated people from the South in the U.S. Army. Anyway, um, I also wanted to mention a few other um, American Civil War and Second World War connections. General Douglas MacArthur's father, Arthur MacArthur, <laughs> Arthur MacArthur Jr. <laughs> Arthur MacArthur. Which, really? Which there was an Arthur MacArthur Senior. Arthur MacArthur Jr. was awarded the Medal of Honor during the Battle of Missionary Ridge, fighting for the Union side during the war. He was brevetted colonel and and at only nine was recognized, 19, 19. sorry, wow. um, was recognized as the boy colonel. Lastly, Simon Bolivar Buckner was general yes. in the Confederate Army and was part of several major battles during the war and was the last general to, to surrender a Confederate army at the end of the war. His son, General Simon Bolivar Buckner Jr., 
was in his mid to late fifties throughout the Second World War and died at Okinawa course, yeah, in nineteen forty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. That, yeah. that I mean that that there, there's no gap there, is there? That's that's absolutely extraordinary. As a lover of both Second World War and um, American Civil War history, I found these types of connections to be interesting and I'm sure impactful on the lives of all three men, Patton MacArthur and Buckner. Yeah, unquestionably, I, I mean, would say, definitely. I mean, you know, the Civil War loomed very, very large in the 1930s and 1940s still. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they had the uh, you had the 75th anniversary in whatever it was, 1930, um, 70th anniversary, didn't you, of, of Gettysburg yeah. in 1933. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with the opening of the big memorial there and, and um, Roosevelt coming down and the, and they had their kind of reenactment of Pickett's Charge, didn't they, with the, yeah. all the, old, the surviving veterans crossing Crazy, and they and they and, and 30 yards before they reached the the, the northern lines they uh the yankee lines the 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 90s these 19 year olds yep. and late 80 year olds broke into a run and all the press that were watching all the dignitaries were watching were sort of watching with bated breath wondering what was going to happen and then finally they stopped just in front of the of the union men and and they all clambered towards each other and embraced and it was absolutely sort of heart-stopping moment absolutely incredible but you know but it was very much on the consciousness you know and yeah. and of course all these generals would have been aware of of the of the american civil war you know they'd learned about it at um yeah at west point and stuff and you know and at school and so on so and you know and if you've got a, if you've got a civil war general in your family of course you're going to know about that aren't you well and also but but Patton, you know mrs Patton apparently um uh, he said, oh, he told Mrs. Patton he expected to die fighting. So there's a bit of him thinking, maybe I'll go down, maybe yeah. I'll, you know, I'll meet a similar fate. And, it, and towards the end of the war, he's right towards the end of the war, he's saying, it would be best to be killed at the end of this thing. And then, because he's, because Patton, Patton towards the end of the Second World War, which of, which of course is towards the end of his life, though he doesn't know it. Um, he's he's quite anxious about what he's going to do when the war ends. He's very worried about being bored. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh. And having nothing to do, and he's no one and to he's boss around. Lobby. Well, no one to boss around, but also he just likes the. He just like you know, and he, he he actually says in his diary, "It had always been my plan to be killed in this war, and I damn near accomplished it." But one cannot resort to suicide. I mean, it's he he and he's and he's lobbying. He's lobbying to be sent to China, where he's saying, "Give me a give me a tank division to take to China, and I'll and I'll I'll roll the Japanese up in no time at all." Or tank army. It's the most extraordinary. Yeah. Like, bananas thing but but it's very interesting that you know you, i think you're absolutely right um uh 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 rick there are these links and that that's a bit that very much informs patton's attitude to battle because he's come from soldiering families you know a soldiering family that 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 um you know that's lost people in in combat you know and uh and gloriously so as it as it yep. as it as it's characterized yeah and honor is 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 incredibly important it's only I mean, you know, honour is still important to this day, but, you know, obviously less so. But but honour, you know, today we kind of think of that as a sort of slightly kind of odd odd thing. Why would you do it just for the honour of something? But it's incredibly yeah. important all through society, through, through millennia. I mean, you know, incredibly yeah. important. You know, the reason Alexander, Alexander's ambition, Phil Marshall and Alexander's ambition, is, is purely based on one about doing his duty and fulfilling his honour. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. personal ambition, it's about being perceived to be an honourable person who's done his best you know that's what it's all yeah. about and Patton's yeah. no different yeah I mean it, yeah I mean we do we do rather find that it, it, you know uh, 
incredible anyway rory kirk writes and says hello james and al i'm loving the podcast i'm an a-level student doing my personal study how about that for a demographic yeah unless he's doing unless he's doing his a-levels in his 60s i'm an a-level student doing my personal study and i'm doing so on the effectiveness of the home guard both in their actual wartime duties and in preparation for their counter invasion measures i would find it very interesting and useful if i could hear your views on the matter it would be criminal if i did not mention that my grandfather was in the remy detachment the sherwood rangers during the cold war and his grandfather served with their contributions to the Imperial Yeomanry during the Second Boer War, as well as being a sergeant in the local Home Guard issued with a rifle. Thanks, Rory. Well, yes, I mean, I, I think the, I mean, the trouble is, is with the Home Guard, you can't get a, you can't get past Dad's Army and Captain Mannering and yeah. you know, Private Pike and all the rest of it, and that's the sort of the the big problem. I mean, you did have old men. Um, turning out there's absolutely no question about that but also lots of competent people as well particularly in the start you know where, where the home guard actually had any use was obviously in 1940 uh, and you've yeah. got you've got lots of young men still then um joining the home guard because they haven't all been called up at this point and particularly out in the yeah. country in the shires you've got a lot a lot of very useful people because of course they're countrymen and they know and, and they're they're exempt from immediately being called up yeah. because they're working on the land but that also yeah. means that they understand the lie of the land which makes them incredibly useful and that that's knowledge that's incredibly important um yeah but at the same time they're they're less well equipped in 1940 so you've got probably the best personnel in 1940 with the the least amount of equipment as the kind of war progresses a lot of the guys that are in the in the home guard then eventually get called called up you know have a lot of yeah. sort of you know teenagers and stuff a lot of the public schools produced um home guards as well Marlborough college for example did and was sort of yeah. permanently manning the a36 or whatever um, um <laughs> but 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 a lot of those guys would then end up being in the second world war as as proper soldiers later on so yeah. There's no hard and fast rule of it, but the bottom line is, if you've got lots of people who know the lie of the land, equipped with any kind of weaponry, you know that that, that is not to be entirely sniffed at, which is the whole point of the home guard in the first place. I mean, you, you're yeah. you're doing it to try and make the job of any enemy trying to attack as difficult as possible. And of course, don't forget, out of that comes the auxiliary units, which are these, these sort of sabotage behind the lines units. Should should we be invaded? And you know, by all accounts, they're extremely well trained and extremely well motivated, uh, and would have been incredibly and well effective. resourced and as well. Resourced, in, a way yeah. that, in a way that the Home Guard perhaps aren't really. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the, a, a good example is Percy Hobart, isn't it? Who yeah. um, is in is in the Home Guard when he's when he's re recruited by the Royal Armoured Corps to. to Start thinking, you know, do some blue sky thinking about what he can do with armored vehicles. Yeah, and uh, they've got his Pike staff, haven't they? At, yes, um, at Bobbington at the tank at the tank museum. Yeah. Um. I. 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 Here's a question to 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 come to to come off of this. The Home Guard. To what extent is the Home Guard a, a political galvanization, um, uh, uh, effort as much as it is anything else? You tell the population to take the war seriously by forming a home guard. Actually, is that what's going on as much as anything else? Because because it's you know it, it's it's the, the, the Chamberlain government didn't do any such thing, did they? And the, and the the problem with the Chamberlain government is they're still in the end really hoping that that at some point, not that appeasement's going to work, but that 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 one up from appeasement, which is fighting a sort of blockadey war, is going to work. Is it? Is it because because after all things that need to happen after the fall of France in the UK as just getting everyone to take these things properly seriously, which is the thing Churchill is, you know, very very good at. The government turns its effort to, and in a way, you know, the strategic earthquake does that job for everybody. The fall of France makes everyone sit up and go, oh, hang on a minute, it's not 
it's not like it's not going to be a sort of technological version of last time. It's going to be, the, you know, we've got to start again. We're sort of ground zero. Is the home guard? To what extent is the home guard that like a a political statement as much as it is anything else? Yeah, that's a really, you, really, think... really interesting question because don't forget it's announced on the fourteenth of May, nineteen forty. So that yeah. is that is the day that the Germans break through on the Meurs. Yeah, uh, and it's a it's the morning, it's a day before, Reno rings up and goes, "We have lost, we've lost the battle." Yeah, yeah. it's all over effectively. Yeah. So I and I think what you can see in that first ten days of the Blitzkrieg, or the or the first week after they cross the Meurs is just total rabbits in headlights stuff. It's complete panic. It's like, holy smoke. You know, the mighty French army's collapsing. We're going to lose over here. And then we're going to be next. We've got a plan really super quickly. So I think to start yep. off with, I think it, I think there is a sort of, there, I'm sure there is a sort of thing in the back of their minds that actually this is a means of take, everyone taking it seriously. But yeah. I think it's born of panic, if I'm perfectly honest. I think that's the that's the real motivation so not, to start off with. It, and then they're thinking, well, hang on a minute, actually, there's there's a use for this. You know, actually, if we yeah. do organise it, let's let's not call it the local defence volunteers anymore. Let's call it the home guard. Let's actually give it a kind of sort of proper structure. Let's actually organise it a little bit better. But I think it's it's born out of panic. Right. So it's not as politically calculated because, after all, I mean the the thing of the thing, of course, is the Winston Churchill of the Winston Churchill of the first you know, uh, 25 days of his pre- uh, premiership is not the Winston Churchill of myth. It's not the Winston Churchill of Winston Churchill who wrote the history books about Winston Churchill, no. is he? I mean, it, it, you know, his first, his first... I mean, it's the most extraordinary first day in the job, isn't it? It's that the, 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 the invasion starts and, the, and the, it's... Yes. Obviously, it's a, total com- it's a total coincidence and everything. But the stuff that lands in his lap in a great sort of tumble... I mean, how much actual decision making is he doing at this? Well, I think a huge amount. I think about because he sanctions Anthony Eden to do the. Um, you know, he's only in back in the job as as Secretary of War for three days or whatever, four days. Yeah, and then he's then you know on the seventeenth of May, I think it is, is when the Ministry of Aircraft Production gets inaugurated, gets formed. Yeah. So okay, we what we really need more than anything else is aircraft, and we need to restructure how we do it. Um, and production is not fast enough. We need to. Okay, it's great that we've got shadow factories lined up, but we need yeah. to really, really give this his own own entity. You, you know, and and that's that's he's making a huge number of decisions very, very quickly. Well, no, it's, it's just, but it's interesting though because because this is know, great. He, you know, we're, this is cranking it up time. I mean, this is. But this is, is it, but, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because because that's obviously noticeably different from the from the Chamberlain approach but is that him arriving in office and uh, and looking at what's coming across his desk and deciding to do that or is that him coming and going this is what we're going to do i've you know i've twiddled my thumbs in the background long enough i know what i know what we need to do because those decisions happen so quickly that the kind of what's happening in france is sort of happening anyway you know that 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 He's got no. He has no influence over what's happening in France. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure he's already thought about having a, a separate um, ministry for aircraft production. I'm sure that's that's already been yeah. on his mind. I'm not sure about the Home Guard though. I, I think that that is a, that is completely a reaction to, you know, one of the reasons why it's such a, it's such a joke to start off with is because no one's they've only thought about it on the 14th of May, yeah. <laughs> you know, and announced it on the 14th of May, and you know, no one was expecting them to collapse in France like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it smacks of something must be done 
politics decision. Oh yes, I'm sure, absolutely sure of that. But I think it is it is it is panic. It's kind of crikey, you know. Yeah. We're we're out the creek here. We really need to act and act fast. You know, this yeah. this is. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of last. You know, it it would be viewed as last chance saloon. You know, we're we're staring down the barrel. We got to do something. We got to do something fast. And at what point? I mean, this is. I mean, this is this is. It's good because we have escaped Captain Mannering. We've escaped his force field or his or his tractor yes. beam. Yes. Um, at what point do the government think to themselves? Actually, you know what? We can we can wind the home guard down, or is it a useful enough way of keeping people on their toes? Because there's no, you know, there, there's no invasion threat. Let's let's say. Um, you know, uh, uh, El Alamein is your is your. But they ring the bells after El Alamein, don't they? Because because we're winning now. We're in yeah. winning mode now. Yeah. Uh, why not? Why not wind the Home Guard down then? Why not? Well, because I think I think think um, Home Guard are doing sort of police local police work as well, aren't yeah. they? They're they're making yeah, exactly. sure that you know. Don't forget, there's an awful lot going on in the build up to 1944. I think what's really interesting yeah. is that Home Guard gets wound down after the Normandy invasion. Because that's the yep. point where you really don't need it anymore. But up until then, you yet. do sort of need it. You need you need to kind of you know make sure that everything runs smoothly in the areas. It's, it's people keeping a watch out, making sure. Don't forget, you know, they're on guard duty to make sure that U-boats aren't landing and agents aren't coming ashore yeah. and all this kind of stuff. You know, the, the bag. You know, the cat's not let out of the bag before D-Day. You know, so you can see that the, there is definitely a role for them. Yeah. So it's what, warfare, what, state, the, warfare state stuff, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just interesting because because uh, I, I I think people don't necessarily character well certainly don't characterise the Home Guard as the British state's way of making sure it's got eyes in every uh, every <laughs> literally every nook and cranny of the country. Whereas, in fact, it therefore does, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, you know, obviously to different differing degrees of effectiveness depending on who you've got doing it, but actually it means you've got you've got uh, you know. But it's a warfare state, not a militaristic state. That's the difference. Well, exactly. So it's not like it's not like having it's not like having the Gestapo everywhere. No. But it is a way. It is a way of of running some khaki right down in trickling khaki right down into absolutely every yes. nook and cranny. Yes. Yeah, so don't don't forget don't forget the war effort is is infiltrating every part of life, and it's not just the Home Guard. It's also you know it's identity yeah. papers, it's rationing, rationing yeah. cards, you know, it's blackouts. It's curfews. Yeah. It's all this kind of stuff. The privations on day-to-day life are absolutely enormous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're supposed to be a democracy. All... There's no election. Don't forget, Churchill's not elected. Yeah, elected prime yeah. minister. Yeah, etc. Yeah. Et yes, et I think it's worth remembering all that, isn't it? When yeah. when people get misty-eyed about the, the things we did for freedom, because one of the things we did for freedom was to pause freedom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Take a lot of our freedoms away. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, put them all on hold um, uh, for for five years. Anyway, um, I think we've. We've done some. We've done some absolutely a fantastic digression there, Jim. I think we've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right well, well, right we can we can get on to some more questions next week. Yeah, absolutely. Just roll That's it over. It Just roll it over. It's like a rollover lottery for for all our new <laughs> listeners who maybe joined us after Saturday Kitchen. Yeah. Um, uh, that's it for oh, today. That was great Thanks fun. for joining. Yeah, it was. It was really good. Yeah, we'll be back on Thursday with an extraordinary interview with Nicholas Frank whose father, Hans Frank, ran Poland uh, for the Nazis and was hanged at Nuremberg. It's an incredible conversation between Nicholas and James. Um, and a taste of what you get if you come to Vorfest 2 next July. Sayonara, one and all. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.